Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and today's guest is Craig Zobel, director of every episode of HBO's Mayor of Easttown, starring Kate Winslet as a cop in Delaware County, or Delco, a complicated region just outside of Philadelphia, where I spent some of my formative years. It's the reason I sometimes say water instead of water. I wanted to talk with Craig Zobel since his captivating, alarming 2012 film Compliance, in which a mystery man persuades fast food workers to do terrible things to each other using only a telephone. It got very divisive film festival reactions, but that was nothing compared to the response to his film The Hunt, a satire about liberals hunting quote-unquote deplorables that was condemned in 2019 before anyone had even seen it by President Donald Trump. That led to the film being delayed until March 2020 when, you know what happened, it became one of the last big releases prior to COVID. In fact, it's the last movie I saw in a theater before COVID shut things down, and it's the last movie that played at the Arclight Cinerama Dome in Hollywood. Unless someone saves the Cinerama Dome, which I'm very confident someone will. Given how provocative Craig Zobel's work is, I kind of expected him to be a fiery guy, but no, he's a super nice dude living in Athens, Georgia. We talked about the importance of nuance and where Mayor of Easttown is going. If you've seen it, you're probably hopelessly addicted. It's created by Delaware County local Brad Inglesby, who also wrote the terrific recent films American Woman and The Way Back. Here's Craig Zobel. I hope I don't come off as nevy. Craig Zobel, it's a huge honor to have you on Movie Maker. There's one question I feel like I should ask because I'm at the point in the show where I'm totally in love with it. And I've been here before with shows like The Killing and even Twin Peaks, where the resolution wasn't always as satisfying as I wanted it to be. Do you guys have an amazing ending lined up? I think I think so. I, f- I, feel, I feel like we'll, I mean, I really can't promise anything, especially <laughs> with a lead up like that. But um, um, I would hope so. I, th- I thought so. I was proud of it. And I feel like it is, uh, it's best, yeah, I feel like it's satisfying and still surprising. And um, it's, you know, it's seven episodes. It's not like, we didn't like make it not, we didn't make it more episodes just to kind of pad it out. So it's like, at least I feel like strong in that way. I feel like your breakthrough film was Compliance. I know you did work before then. And that movie had such an insanely divided response where I guess at the London Film Festival, at some point someone stood up and said, all right, everybody time to go and tried to lead a walkout. Were, yeah. you, were you there for that? And were you there for Sundance? Well, there was I a mission. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was fascinating. And at the Sundance, uh, at Sundance, the first screening of that film ever, um, as the credits, you know, as the lights went up afterwards, I, and, you know, me and the other actors are like going, getting, you know, get, getting ready to go down to the stage to like talk. And there was like somebody like that stood up and was like booing the, the film and like saying shame on Sundance for showing it. And then somebody else stood up and started arguing with that person and saying, I want my granddaughters to watch this. And then they were like bickering and there's like people yelling at each other. And we weren't even on stage yet. It was, it was, quite, <laughs> it was quite, it was quite intense. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, a. Uh, it's funny because it it was born out of just a curiosity, I think, of like, how did that happen? How did this, you know, and for anybody who hasn't seen the, the film, like the story is essentially this woman gets, um, who works at a, a, as a manager at a fast food restaurant, gets a phone call 
saying that um, one of her employees stole money and that the police are, are coming soon, but they just need to hold her in the back, you know, hold this employee in the back until the police get there and, and on and on and on and essentially like lead this woman into like doing very crazy things and it's all a prank phone call and it was based on a, based on a series of true events like like 70 times that these prank phone calls happened and i mean like the inner like i earnestly was just like what were they talking about like how did you convince you know it ends up in strip searches and all sorts of bad things yeah and um i just couldn't imagine like what that dialogue was between those people and um that's really how that's that was like a writing exercise as much as anything like a truly artistic writing exercise when i was trying to get another movie made and um and um i had a there was a a a, a producer who was you know listened to me patiently with my pitch on the other movie and was like you know that's probably not for us at the moment but like if you have anything that's a thriller like you know like and i kind of just pitched it and the ball start, started rolling and and um you know, it all really happened really fast. I don't know that I could have designed that movie to happen or I would have had the guts to like finish it, I don't think really, if I hadn't sort of fallen into that scenario. Um, but it did really make it into like this like true like art project in a way, instead of it just, it, you know, um, we were all curious as to like, what about people make, made these decisions possible, made this stuff possible, you know? And so, um, so, there were people that like saw that and immediately thought it was cool. And then there were people that saw that and felt really uncomfortable with kind of like what it was saying about power and culpability and gullibility and, and things like that, I think. Or people that just were like, this isn't real. <laughs> this would never happen. <laughs> right. It's one of those movies where when you go and Wikipedia everything afterwards, it just makes the movie so much better because you weren't, you weren't, exploitative you were underselling how ridiculous the situation was right it's and you were way underselling how ridiculous the situation was i mean truth is so much worse than fiction in this case yeah so, yeah. yeah when when people were arguing at your son dad's premiere was that a great feeling or a terrible feeling it was i i, I didn't i didn't know what to think and was like pretty scared at first and then i remember looking down and seeing a, a, a person that I, I, I knew, just barely knew, like I'd met once or twice, who just was like, that movie's awesome. And it was like, just hearing one person like give me like, I was like, oh, okay, like this is just a divided thing. You know, it was like, um, I, it's funny, I ended up uh, touring around with that movie in a way that I, I don't think I, you know, I would ever do again. Uh, Magnolia Pictures released it and they like platformed it out and went, you know, so it kind of like went to different regions at different times and stuff. And I went and flew to different places and like would be like, I called it like the triage nurse after the, the movie and be like, I'm the one who made it, you can yell at me. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd just try to lead a discussion about like what, why I made it and what people were feeling, you know? And it was actually one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. It was amazing. That was like truly one of the best things I've ever done. Getting to see how it affected like people in Tucson or, you know, like in the middle of, of, of the country and places that I had never been to before. It was really like special.
Yeah, it does one of my favorite things a movie can do, which is it's a very small story that then blows out and can be taken almost as a metaphor for how people, you know, end up going to war or end up making these huge, vast, terrible decisions just because we have too much faith and authority. Was that intentional or did you just want to make a small story? No, I think that, I mean, I guess I saw, I guess I saw enough of what the root problem there was. <laughs> it's about power and people having power over and people wanting power over each other and, and how that, how that, yeah, like you said, how authority is apt to be abused, I guess. Like, <laughs> um, I thought it had all of those. That was why it was a useful, I guess, like, experiment was that I felt like it had bigger questions for sure. Yeah. You know, the hunt arrived at kind of a perfect time for me as I was also getting, as, as I think you were getting just a little disgusted at how divided people are and how willing people are to cartoonize each other. I imagine being in Athens, you meet your share of very liberal people. I mean, that's REM country. You meet your share of very liberal people and very conservative people and probably have to navigate both. And it's probably hard to say all of the liberals are this or all of the conservatives are that. Absolutely. I totally, um, I totally was there in that like headspace. Um, and, and talking about that a lot with, you know, with Damon and Nick uh, who wrote it um, a lot after, uh, at the, the beginning was, was very much so like that, um, I always remember this one right after Trump was elected. I remember this one like poll. It was like, you know, one of the big kind of famous ones, the Monmouth or something, one of the polls that they do right, like right after the election. And um, they ask a question, which was like, will you stay friends with people who voted differently from you or something, something phrased along those lines. And like Democrats were like very not willing, <laughs> which I get, you know, but like, and, 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 and Republicans were like, sure, just because they voted for Hillary Clinton doesn't mean that I didn't, that they're bad people or whatever. And I just thought that that was obviously, obviously the other side of that, look, I mean, January 6th, the other side of that is equally just like true that there's like massive amounts of intolerance yeah. there. I mean, it was just, I, I always stuck in my head where it was like, <laughs> probably not the, I get it. I feel the same way, I guess. But maybe I, maybe we should kind of reflect on that. Maybe that's not gonna solve the, any sort of of our ills to kind of immediately be the super bullification of the world, you know, like it's not helping. Yeah, yeah. As a person on the left, I actually think that we're not going to get anything we want unless we can persuade a couple of people to peel off sometimes and agree with us on some lefty issues or left moderate issues, which is where real, you know, change happens. And it's just absolutely impossible when the two sides see each other as completely evil and irredeemable and unfixable. And I, th I thought the movie made that point in the funniest possible way. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it was supposed to be a fun movie, <laughs> and I love that we never find out how Betty Gilpin votes, for instance, who's our hero. Right, right. And, I, I don't, I don't actually know. I don't know how mayor votes. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, but those Delco people are exactly the people who do kind of decide our elections. I mean, Pennsylvania had the whole thing for a while. Um, right. Yeah, it was like, I, I mean, I was two blocks away when they like announced the like 
final vote because we were still up there shooting at that point. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Was it tense? Was it fun? Yeah, it was tense. It was, well, I mean, I was, um, I was so worried about the pandemic at that point and just like scared that like, it was like, I cannot get COVID and then like be responsible yeah. for all of these people not having a job, <laughs> you know? So it's like, I was like wrapping myself in saran wrap whenever I went anywhere. So I wasn't really engaging with it, but it was like, you know, watching kind of like from my window. Um, and it was uh, pretty crazy, yeah. Um, no, this is something that you are directing, not writing, obviously you didn't write The Hunt either. Um, what attracted you to this? Why did you want to come in and be a director as opposed to being a writer director? Uh, I guess I've kind of just been on a bit of a little um, run lately of kind of doing that and wasn't feeling like it was less creative or less, I guess, not, I'm not necessarily one to feel like if you're not writing it, it's not your thing. Like, I mean, um, so, so it's really just like, what projects are, do you want to do? Uh, now, the funny thing is, like, I have currently, like, started writing a bunch of things because it's been about three years and it, it just would feel nice to kind of, like, like, assimilate some of the lessons that I've learned and see if I'm any good at writing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but um but um yeah what attracted me to 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 i mean what attracted me to the hunt was simply like getting to work with with uh damon and nick again and talking about because like in my mind that is also a story about um magical thinking and conspiracy theory which i, I think is really the problem it's like not about having different opinions that's the problem it's like when like you can't agree on the truth anymore is the real issue um i think uh and so i get you know like those were the things that i was thinking about in my life and so that felt like a good um you know that was why i wanted to make that film but uh but uh, but the in terms of mayor um it just felt it actually felt nice to like see something that was in a way like a family drama that did have enough of a genre element to it that is like a murder mystery, which is a fun thing to make, like just on a really technical way. It's fun to kind of go like, are we do like, what is, you know, trying to get the mix of that right. And I don't know, you know, it'd be up to whether or not you're mad at the last episode or not, that <laughs> we, we got it right. But like, um, but it's still fun to try that, that experience. Um, but I also really like, I, I was attracted to, to Mare. I was attracted to seeing, and Kate was already involved by the time that I like got on board and what she wanted to, who she, what it was on the script versus what she wanted to be were different, were different, you know? And it was like, oh, this is, I understand. I know how to, I know how to be your second base coach and do this actually, this is cool. Like I would be excited to like help you know, or first base coach, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like the idea of just being the like guy who's like, okay, that was great. Now try this, like get out of your comfort zone and do this one other thing or something, you know? Um, because I, I hadn't seen a character like Mayor on TV, you know, I mean, in a long time or maybe ever, I didn't, couldn't really think of an, an analogous character. Yeah. Um, I just have a weird question about this so um, this takes place in 2020 because it's the 15th anniversary of her big shot in 1995. And it seems to take place 
I'm guessing spring, fall. Yeah, we, it was, you know, it was being shot like the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. Mm -hmm. And then we shut down before we were fully done and then finished it pretty much like months and months later. So it, it was kind of supposed to be like the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020. Okay. Okay. Because I was going to say, it sort of seems like it takes place in an alternate reality where COVID never happened. It didn't happen. <laughs> um, <Kind of. laughs> just going by the dates, but it, it, that's not a complaint. It's just, you know. It's that just was a big question. Well, we, we shot the thing out of order. Um, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't do block shooting, which is a traditional kind of way to shoot out of order, which is you shoot the first two episodes, then you shoot the second or the third and the fourth episode. And so we just shot it all as one big thing. Um, so, you know, anytime that you're ever at that location, we just shot all of the locations and the people out really, um, which uh, was cool in a lot of ways. Um, but, uh, but then like when, COVID happened, it actually became tricky because we couldn't kind of like work COVID into the story or, you know what I mean? It's like, we couldn't, we had to sort of be committed to like this world that didn't have COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. How many days was the shoot? Uh, I think it ended up, I, I actually don't, I know that we kind of ended a few days earlier than we thought we would because we were scared of, of, of mm -hmm. like rising caseloads and stuff. Um, it came out to be like a hundred and, three or something like that. I'm sorry, I don't know. Oh, uh, that's intense. Yeah, yeah. At, at what point in your life did this come to you? Because I know you had a lot of other drama going on with the hunt at more or less the same time. Yeah, it, this, this came to me like right when it was like, okay, it feels like if we keep the pressure on, the hunt will come out in the spring. And it was like, great, <clears throat> the hunt will come out one day. And this was like a little thing I could slot in I could like do it before the hunt came out. And, um, you know, the kind of, or like, you know, pretty much be just wrapping it up when the hunt came out, which is what was happening. Um, yeah. We had, you know, we had a couple of months, maybe a month and a half left when, at first when we went down and then that's, you know, ballooned into more time because of the time that it takes to work in a COVID book. Yeah. Well, what's the order? I mean, because you finished the hunt in fall, I believe, of 2019. The president denounces your movie. <laughs> yeah. So we finish in we finish in August, um, end of August, and I'm in the like sound mix, like doing like the last day of the sound mix or something when the president tweeted about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so then the studio delays it. It, it, we, we all fear that it will never come out. And in the studio, it's like, okay, we're, you know, like we're all being like called by Breitbart people, like on our cell phones somehow and stuff like that. It's like insane. <laughs> I think the movie is just a big liberal fantasy of liberals killing conservatives, which it's not. Uh, it was more nuanced than that. We were just, we were white noise. Obviously, like, I mean, so like the, the there was the, the remember the, the the shooting in El Paso the, that yeah. week where there was the shooting in Ohio and and, and Texas. And um, the El Paso shooter had like 
quoted like a lot of things from like Tucker Carlson and like the president in his like manifesto. <laughs> and that was like a news story. And then like, that was like starting to be a news story. And then all of a sudden Fox News and a lot of places were like, guns don't kill people. Like movies like this, uh, the hunt kill people. So we literally were just fodder for like changing the subjects. Um, wow. In retrospect, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny to me that all the canceled Dr. Seuss stuff came out the week that <laughs> Biden was uh, eliminating or trying to eliminate half of child poverty in the country. Right. And then convenient counter narrative, they're trying to warp our children's minds by removing Dr. Seuss. Um, right. Yeah, weird, just weird. <laughs> yeah. So, so it was like, I thought, I thought for sure when people see the movie, they'll understand like what it is and that it's like mostly silly. Like it wasn't supposed to be like a serious, you know, treaties well, on like this whole conversation. It was supposed to be like a, like, can we like laugh at how crazy all this has gotten? And I thought that that would like shine through, but I just didn't ever prepare that like, you know, unless we had, we, you know, in retrospect, I wish that we had just showed it to like a bunch of press and a bunch of people that weekend. Like yeah. when, the you know, like that really, I think would have like changed that narrative really fast, but everybody was a little scared at that point and didn't kind of know what to do really, you know, like it was, um, it just was, it was a unique time. <laughs> well, then you have this Zelig situation or Forrest Gump situation where you're pretty much the last movie in theaters during COVID. I mean, your, yours is the last movie I saw in a theater forever. Yeah, it's so, so strange. <laughs> it was the last movie to play at the Center Dome. Is that right? You're the last movie? Yeah. Oh my God, that's heartbreaking. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what was that like to realize that your movie is, you know, not going to get the box office it would have, and you're in the middle of this horrific thing? How did that feel? I mean, it's Really quickly, like, I mean, I was like everyone else where it was like, m movies were so not important for a second. And it was just like, okay, well, you know, oh well. Yeah. Um, but, but like, honestly, I do think, it, so like Universal did really quickly like release it straight to, to video, you know, two weeks after, you know, it went down, it was, it was available. And I think a lot of people watched it um, that way. Um, because it was enough time that we all kind of wanted to do something <laughs> and had maybe heard of that movie. So um, it was, uh, you know, I was glad that, that they did that and that there was some opportunity for people to see it. Um, um, yeah. yeah, just a strange series it, of events. It must have been nice to get back to work, to be able to go back and finish Mervy's Town after all this craziness. Absolutely. It, it, it was, it was, um, it like was like a specific amount of challenges for sure, you know, which I'm, I'm sure you, you've probably talked to other filmmakers about just how strange and difficult it is to shoot. Um, we were like particularly cautious because we were, um, we were kind of early in the like list of, you know, people going back. Um, so, I like had a lot of anxiety, but like, honestly, it also made, I think everybody kind of want to, 
it like changed the tone not that the set had a bad tone at all but like it was even more loving than than it had been at, at the end which was which was you know beautiful to see yeah it felt like for a few months everybody got about 30 percent nicer yeah. just <laughs> yeah just you needed to be more patient you needed to be more considerate and you didn't know where anybody else was at headspace wise and yeah I sort of missed that. I know. I mean, hopefully, hopefully, if that rubs out, to, rubs off to being like coming out to being like five percent nicer a little after, like, like it just moved us a little bit higher on the scale. <laughs> uh, it's funny talking to you. You come off as like a very like nice, gentle-minded person, like who, you know, wants to do good things. And I didn't know based on your movies whether you would be like this type of person or like this guy's just a provocateur who's always <laughs> throwing, throwing bombs. Um, do people expect you to be that way? Yeah, there was definitely a period right after compliance where I would take meetings and people would be like, you're actually nice. <laughs> <laughs> so is it, is it the thing where you kind of exercise the dark thoughts you're wrestling with or the things that trouble you through the movies and try to live I suppose so. I mean, I would call them interests, like just things that, like puzzles, pu things that I've, I, yeah, yes, I guess is the short answer to that question. Okay, you're at the end of the interview and you're thinking, God, what am I going to do? I have this lawn to mow, this wall to paint, this chiseling that I've got to do to break out of prison. What am I going to do? I'm going to recommend flipping over to The Industry, a podcast by Dan Delgado. The latest episode is about the fad of Bruce exploitation that emerged after the death of Bruce Lee. If for some reason you enjoy hearing my voice, you can also go to the Low Key podcast, uh, which is a podcast I host every week with Aaron Lanson and Keith Denny, where we talk about films and the issues surrounding them, and it's fun. You can also check out past episodes of Movie Maker, including the very last episode we did with Darren Lynn Bousman, the director of Spiral from the Book of Saw. I thought that was a really fun interview. At least it was for me. Now, obviously, the guest you just listened to was Craig Zobel, director of Mayor of Easttown. I also recommend checking out his films The Hunt and Compliance, among others. Visit us anytime you like at moviemaker.com. There's a newsletter I write with all of the stuff we're publishing all the time. You can sign up for that at moviemaker.com slash newsletter. We're going to be doing a very cool giveaway very soon for new subscribers. So something to look forward to. It involves, um, it involves an archaeologist in the 1930s. That's all I'm allowed to say. All right. See everybody soon. Thanks for listening.